coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk to the founder and lead instructor of Bruiser Industries and have a discussion about civilians training and LARPing. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. This episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA. Be sure to check out their ammo membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If you'd like to sign up or purchase ammo, please go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Doing really well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Having a nice night. We have off tomorrow. I Yeah, that's always a nice feeling for sure. I don't think I I thanked you the last time, so it's by the time this airs, it's a little bit down the road. Sure. But um, I, I want to publicly thank you and your dad for helping me out with that deer. You know, I know I've I know I've thanked you like seventeen times I was off you, the air. You have more than thanked me. <laughs> um, you can thank me with some meat uh, uh, and snacks when 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 it's uh, when when that's all done. Yeah. I will uh, give that to you. I'm glad you're in the game now, though, because now we can like swap goodies. Yeah, you know? for sure. You and, uh, you and I both like get to together to and things. cook different recipes and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, what we really have to do next season is uh, we just got to hunt together. Yeah, no, we definitely should do so, one one hunt together. And I, I, you saw the size of the doe. Like we, we need to go up north. <sighs> that and, thing and go, was a monster. Go hunt at biggest the, doe I've ever seen. Go hunt up with cousin Brian. <clears throat> nice, yeah. So uh, anyone that's out there listening, uh, if you're looking to support the show, if you like the content that we're putting out there, and you uh, you want to do something to help us out, if it's your first time hearing our show please consider subscribing. Uh, we really want to keep you around and uh, we hope that we're doing the right thing and giving you good content. So just stick around. You know, we're, we're good guys. And uh, if you're a longtime listener- We say so anyway. Yeah, of course. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, please, please, please consider telling a few friends about our show. Uh, word of mouth is the best way to grow this movement. And I think, you know, we have a great catalog of guests. If you go back and look, our catalog is phenomenal. Uh, we're going to add another one tonight. And uh, I think most people would be very impressed with the, the guests that we've had on. So anyway, uh, we're going to get right into this interview. But tonight's interview is brought to you by Flatline Fiber Co. And uh, we've known Chad for a really long time. He makes great products. And I say it, I've said it when we had him on Chopping It Up. You know, the product can be good, but the man behind the product's more important. And he's a really solid dude. He makes all his products. Everything is made and sourced in the U.S. And he stands behind his products. So you know, if you're going to go buy a product, we can even help you out with that. Use discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And thank you so much for supporting the companies that support the show. Yeah, he's got some great ideas too. We're going to do a dry firing competition, right? Oh, I'm so excited about I this. I know, man. I was excited <clears throat> when we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get to that later, Dave. But let's get into this whole interview thing. So today's guest served 14 years as a Navy SEAL with four deployments and two tours as an instructor. During his deployments, he served as lead breacher as well as platoon and lead sniper. He's been a freelance writer for both Requill and Ballistic Magazine and has been featured in popular blogs such as Breach Bang Clear and The Mag Life. Since 2018, he has been the operator and lead instructor at Bruiser Industries. Please welcome Joe Dawson to the show. Joe, how's it going? It's going, guys. What's going on? What's going on? How are you doing tonight? 
Oh, lo- loving life out here on the West Coast. Awesome. So you're in Oregon, correct? Yes, I am. <clears throat> I don't know if I said that right. I never had to say that that state properly. I feel like I messed <laughs> it up. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys just uh, you're dealing with some uh, anti-freedom stuff right now, aren't you? Oh yeah. Um, I don't think even the people who wrote the bill, Measure One Fourteen, really know what's in it. So <laughs> it was. It's uh, normally the case. Uh, well, from everybody, what I'm hearing is like my buddies with the state police and stuff are like, you know, we don't know how who's going to run what they're asking. So they're asking basically what it is, is it's requiring safety training before you purchase a firearm, which I think we can all agree is that on paper is a logical thing. Sure. Um, my my complaint, my complaint is that that should be taught in elementary school. Personally, um, the uh, second part of it is they're adding in a database and a uh firearms license requirement that you have to the state police is supposed to maintain this like licensing program um boy it sounded a lot like new york <laughs> yeah so 65 dollars or something like that for a, a firearms license um do you think there are going to be any challenges legally well i think firearms po- policy coalition because along with this is also a 10 round mag or a yep. 10 round mag cap yep. so they're do they're following suit for Washington and California, which yeah. um, if people have been following that down in California is uh, about to go back to a federal judge. So um, yeah. we'll see how that pans out. I assume, you know, all FPC or, or yeah. uh, gun owners of America will be right on the tails well, of that. To, what I've been saying is for years, New York has been sort of the, you know, the, butt the butt end of uh, all this kind of stuff. And thanks to uh, you know, Nyserpa v. Bruin. I feel like for once we're the tip of the spear. Like we're actually like you know causing a lot of a lot of chaos. And you, you've said that a couple of times. I don't quite feel that way. No, yet. I do. I, if know? it wasn't for Bruin, none of this would be happening. There was yeah. uh, there was lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. They would not be doing that if it wasn't for Bruin. I I can't disagree with that 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 thought. It's just I I given where we're at. Now we haven't we we've still lost more than we've gained. Give it time. I know, I know. A lot of guests have told us that. Gottlieb yeah. has told us that. So I get it, and I am. I'm being patient. Um, I'm trying to take the small wins, but yeah, I, I get a little frustrated when I think about the other things that I've still lost. Yeah. Well, listen. I want to uh, get into happier stuff, and yeah. I want to talk about yeah. Bruiser Industries here. So, <laughs> uh, so first off, uh, I would like to thank you so much for your service to this country. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to know that there's men out there willing to do what you were willing to do. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, if if you don't mind, I'd like to sort of go back to before your military career. And was there a defining moment when you knew that military service was your calling? Who, um, <clears throat> for me, it was kind of a combination of a couple of things. So I growing up always loved team sports and I always seemed to catch, um, <clears throat> see, how do I say this? Honestly, how, I catch maturing off schedule. And what I mean by that is like, mm-hmm. I'd either get too big, too fast and I'd be awkward or like, and I, then it would take me, you know, a few years to like grow into my body. And so I, every time I would get into a sport, I'd start getting good. I would get awkward again. And then I'd get frustrated. And then like fast forward into, um, I, I just liked the atmosphere of working towards a common goal and mm-hmm. probably about the age of eight or nine, honestly. Um, I actually had a drawing when I was about 10 or 11 that I drew a seal trident and I wrote my, uh, my future profession over it. Cool. And I still have that that piece of paper wow from like i think yeah i was like 10 or 11 years old um but uh 
fast forward, I, I told somebody like when I was like eight or nine, and I'm one of those kids like, you know, don't jump off that bridge or you know I'm going to freaking jump off that go- that bridge. So <laughs> I, uh, every time I tell somebody like, you know, it's really hard, you know, you might want to think about other things, you know, it's really hard. And like, this was all, you know, pre nine 11 pre I mean anything. All we had was Charlie Sheen back then. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I wanted it, wanted it, wanted it, obviously, uh, graduate high school, nine 11 happened my freshman year in college. Oh. And, uh, I'd kind of put off doing it. So I'd go to school, went to school for like another couple of years. Um, and then kind of the, the guys started getting after it and I was like, okay, now's the time. Um, so I joined in, uh, Oh four and, uh, and served until 2018. So you, you joined in Oh four, you enlisted in Oh four, how long from enlisting until you got into buds? Oh, I mean, I had a contract, so it was, it was basically boot camp, a school right in the buds. Really? So, so I don't, how does that work? Because I mean, that's such an elite level in the military. What like gets you into that so easily, not easily, but so quickly where you're already contracted into that as opposed to like having to work your way up to that. I, I just, I've never heard that before. Basically all the units at this point, all SOCOM units aside from the tier one boys, um, basically to be contracted to to join because the contract doesn't mean anything if you can't meet the standards like all it does is guarantee you a, a chance to try okay and so it like you sign the contract that's great like you could be 300 pounds and the recruiter would be like sign right here like yeah you could oh. have your chance to go to buds gotcha so um, they give you the opportunity but you what you have to meet pass. that do, do you know the yeah. standards prior to you know i have to meet these standards yeah i mean the bud screening test isn't um it, in and of itself, the test isn't hard. The thing is, is that when you have to run the test, and if you have a contract, then you just, if you, as long as you pass the test, you're going to go all the way to buds. Um, but if you are out in the fleet, or if you have failed once, then you start, it starts becoming really competitive because basically what happens is, is, you know, for 400 people want to try from the fleet, um, they take all their screening tests and their evals and everything else. And then they basically take, the, you know, the top 50. Uh, okay. And then that's who, or, or top 200 and that's who classes up at, with the next class. And okay. so it's, so you have this drawing that you made at eight years old and you were like, yep. I want to be a seal. And now you yep. actually get contracted and you actually get that opportunity. So tell us about your experience in buds and you know, was there ever a point where you considered ringing the bell? And if so, how did you push past that urge? Um, Buds is as advertised, uh, at least I'll say this because everybody's, you know, my, my buds class was the last hards buds class. Um, I, I have no idea what they're doing now. I mean, it, it changes and evolves and, and, and moves along with, you know, current political climate and student standards. And, but I, I believe, I believe it's still, you know, absolutely as advertised, but the, um, it was a kick in the nuts, you know, you get there and, you know, all of that history resides in that center in Coronado and, you know, you're standing, first day you're standing on those duck feet and you're like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> and, uh, and then it kicks off and it, and it, you know, it's a swift kick to the nuts and they don't stop kicking for about a year and a half. And then, you know, the, you put a bird on your chest and they keep kicking for another 14 years and then you're out. Um, the, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's good. It's hard. It's, uh, my personality type, um, it's funny you asked if I ever thought about quitting. I will, you know, I'm not the most, there's always guys who are bigger, faster, stronger. Um, 
I was definitely in the middle of the pack and just about everything except for ruck running. Cause you know, I was a big, you know, I played junior college football and I was a big defensive end type guy. So carrying weight wasn't hard. Um, I wasn't the slowest runner. I wasn't the slowest swimmer. Uh, but the, uh, there was guys who, you know, were Olympic trials runners and guys who were, you know, like a silver medalist for behind Michael Phelps is now a seal officer. Like there's some physically gifted people there. Um, and as you're going through, there's some physically gifted people who quit. And my attitude towards it was every time somebody who I perceived as better than me as something quit, I was like, you know, ha ha pussy, like you're gone. Uh, Look who's still here. Um, Somebody hit it farther. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's one of those things where I think looking at everybody's reason to be there, you'd think everybody has the same reason. It's, that's very, very untrue. Um, I was very much there to prove I belonged next to the guys that I was still sitting next to. So, you know, you're, you're sitting in a serve zone and you're getting blasted with waves and it's freezing and everybody's shaking and guys are getting up and going and getting coffee and standing by the fire. Like I wasn't there for them. I was there for the guy who was still, still sitting next to me. You know, you, you live on that competition of being there together and making it through. And, you know, I, I think, if I if it came down to like last man standing, there can be only one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, who knows? But because I'm not, I wasn't there for myself. I was there right. for you know the guys right and left of me. So it was uh, I, you know, I made it through. Um, I got rolled once for uh, drown proofing actually, um, which is after Hell Week. Uh, you have to basically have your hands and feet tied, and you get pushed into a pool and have to do this series of events. It's crazy. When Sounds you, horrible. Uh, yeah, I just. It actually, I didn't freak out. What happened was is you do you do this thing called a travel, which is basically you dolphin kick across the pool and back. And when you, you then have to start like bobbing up and down again in this nine foot section of the pool. And I wasn't letting enough air out. Okay. And so I would start to sink and I would like sit like three feet off the bottom and three feet from the top. And I'd be sitting there staring at the instructor and, and then I'd kick to the top. I'd let a little breath out and I would sit and he'd like, you know, he's like, you know, one more chance. And like, I just wasn't letting enough air out, okay. but it, honestly, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me. Cause I got to spend three months in a pool before I class back up again. And I ended up going and blasting everything else water related on my yeah, second try. Cool. Well now you're retired. So how, yes, I am. How's it treating you? Uh, has, has writing, writing about your, you know, passion for shooting been a challenge? No, I, you know, I actually started writing, uh, shortly after I got into my first platoon, I, so I was an English lit major in college and, um, really enjoy that stuff. And I like, and, you know, I grew up reading, you know, gun magazines and national riflemen and all these things. And and so, you know, when I got to start playing with fun stuff and then I started shooting competitively, I really, uh, wanted to, to talk about it and talk about the stuff that I got to play with, not at work, but I think it's so cool that you used a pseudonym. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, so the thing was, is this when I, I was one of the rare guys who actually asked permission to write, to write. Um, and, uh, the Jag at Warcom actually thanked me for actually asking permission. And he, I had to go talk to him and he was like, so what are you trying to write? And I said, well, gun reviews, training articles, whatever. And he goes, well, um, you can't say you're a seal. And I said, that's fine. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. I was like, you think 90% of writers are just writers. Like, they yeah, don't yeah. have some high speed by- background. This is that is using a pseudonym has been around forever in this country. Yeah. You know, like 
<laughs> so I, I was John Darwin for uh, for like ten years of writing for Breach Man Clear, um, and, and then when I, when I started writing for Recoil, they used my name, but my bio had nothing about being DOD. Okay, it just said you know shot competitively, was a law enforcement firearms instructor, which was true. Um, and then once I retired, then you know my whole bio became fair game, and it all got written into. Was there any, was there any meaning behind John Darwin? No, it was utterly picked out of the air. Yeah, huh. like, but like, were you just there and you were like John Darwin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, pretty much like Matt Damon. That's funny. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I was looking through your course catalog, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, training and your training philosophies. Uh, I heard somewhere, I don't know where it was when I was doing research on you, that. Uh, you offer pistol courses, carbine courses, and precision courses, and precision rifle courses. And I heard you say something that was interesting. You said there's a lot of guys out there, and I'm paraphrasing, a lot of guys out there that teach pistol. There's a lot of guys out there that teach carbine. They're very good at it. You know, you can go to any one of those guys. But you sort of felt that precision courses were really your forte. Um, so first off, why – I feel like you'd be good at all of those, and you do – offer all of those, but why is that the one that you feel was your most suited for teaching? It's the thing I spent the most time with in the service. Uh, so I basically, you know, I did two deployments and then I went and taught land warfare for three years. And that was a, uh, basically a big scope carving course. And, and then went back for another two deployments. And then I went to our sniper school and ended up being the course manager and supervisor of our sniper course. But while I was in service, I was a platoon troop and team lead sniper and, and managed the training and sustainment of all the snipers at the second team I was at. And, and then I also shot competitively in PRS and, and that was, so I, I, it was what I spent the most time at. I also shot USPSA a little bit and IDPA and some of that stuff, but primarily just due to what I had to do at work and what my role at work was, you know, I couldn't just leave. And, you know, when you're doing sniper sustainment or regular work stuff and go shoot, you know, USPSA or whatever, but I shot long guns all the time. And so I got out and it's really, you kind of got to find your spot. I think in this industry, I think people tend to get out and they go and they don't really know where they fit. And that could just be being a good overall general instructor. Um, but I think there's people out there who are like JJ Rakaza and, you know, Tim Heron and, and these guys who are like grandmasters in USPSA or Matt Pranka with X-Ray Alpha or Ben Stager, or, you know, the list goes on and on of guys who are phenomenal. That's all they do. They shoot it all the time or carving. Um, and they've been doing it for a long time and honestly are just faster than I am. And not necessarily, I wouldn't say better or worse instructors. They're just, that is their discipline. They've chose chosen to sharpen and really down on. Uh, whereas I just found, you know, not to cut you off, but I found it very humble of you to say that. And uh, I say that because, and I'm not saying this in in any way towards any particular brown nose, are you Navy (laughs) towards, towards any Navy seal that I've heard or listened to, but it would be very easy for you to say, I'm a Navy seal and I feel good enough to teach with anybody out there. And so for you to actually hone in on the one area that you're like, this is really my, bread and butter. I can teach the other things, but for you to say there's other guys out there 
a lot of instructors, they don't really want to say that, right? They don't want to, they don't want to like admit that someone else could teach their course. But I, I do know of instructors that do what you're doing here. And I, I really do admire that. Um, you know, at the end of that particular course, your precision course, what's a good standard that a student might be able to achieve? Like if that is, you feel like that's your strength, you had so many years of doing it. What are you, what is your goal for most students to be able to achieve at the end? I think the goal of any course, any course you should go to, shouldn't just be a, a, a blast of information. One, I want the student to be, to be digesting all the information I gave them for weeks after the class. Mm. Like if I, if you finish a class and you have, we're like, yep, I understood every single bit of that. Like, I feel like I grasped every inch and you're like, I, I don't think you got your money's worth because I think you should, that instructor should be giving you every bit of information he can in two days, four days, one day, whatever it is. So that the next day you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And the next day you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like they should be scrambling to take notes to, because the thing is I taught a 12 week sniper course. Like I'm not going to get anybody more than maybe one or two times, three times, maybe. And that's like a huge maybe to come to a precision rifle class. And if you do, like, I'm not going to have a precision rifle one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like, how many two day courses are you going to offer? Yeah. So, in two days, how much information can I give you? It's not going to be like when we were at, when I was teaching the guys where I'm going to spend an entire day shooting yard lines or an entire day shooting movers or like, because we have the time. Like, I might have an hour block or an hour and a half block to give you a baseline and understanding of this concept. And then my goal is for you to then understand what you need to go work on, on your own, yes. because the military is different that way. We're paid to be there and then and right. put through a cycle. You don't have, we don't have to be hungry. Yeah. Okay. I think it's I should job, be hungrier right? than they are. Yeah. yeah. Whereas civilians who are searching these things out, they're spending their own money. That means they have, they are putting themselves out there with their own resources to attend this course. So I'd assume they would then look to take, how do I get better coming from this course? Not like I check the box. That's all I'm ever going to do. Well, I, 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 I mean, Mike and I have experienced too, and I'm sure you experience this as an instructor is that there's so many varying levels of ability, Yeah, you know, when you get to these classes. So you kind of got to, you know, you got to teach the group, right? Joe, how far out, like when a student takes your class, let's just say an average tutor, uh, how far out do you think a student should be able to reach out to with their gun once you've taught them that knowledge? Like is a thousand yards reasonable or is that? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a, that's, that's really caliber dependent more yeah, than sure. it is necessarily shooter dependent, but for scope carbine, I tend to like when I'm just going to use what ranges I like to re reserve yeah, that's good. if I can, yeah. which is scope carbine is like anywhere from 500 to 800, a thousand would be, absolutely awesome because some guys just end up bringing ar 10s that are fully capable of shooting a thousand yeah. but scope carving is much more of a like shooting holds don't touch your turrets like we're doing fast acquisition like yeah. bouncing between distances and then precision rifle like minimum i want a thousand yards but i you know i'll the courses there is i don't think there's a range i've scheduled the next year that's currently on the schedule that doesn't give me a mile for both wow okay that's impressive yeah I, yeah so do you do you have any <laughs> don't don't laugh at me all right do you have any tips for kind of remembering holdovers I, I i find myself forgetting sometimes like should i be above or should i be below <laughs> I, yeah it's it's really just understanding how you zero is 
the reason why we do 100 yards zero is 100 yards is the is the closest distance that gives you that you don't go over your point of aim so there is no max or that is over the center crosshair and so if you are holding it's all going to be under the 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 center of the crosshair I watched your YouTube video on um, that you recently did with Jim Goon's life on discussing zero, and and you said it sort of there too, and that part makes sense. But I guess in the heat of training, <laughs> you know, so to speak, I I sometimes find with pistol particularly, I find myself forgetting should I be above where I'm holding or you know yeah like, this is an area where like the things get a little murky for me and I should know this better but is is it and correct me if I'm wrong is it the 5100 there's always like two numbers is it 5100 is that the no and that, and that this goes into one of the other videos I did with Jimmy which is understanding that there's a lot of things that play into this and, and you're basically you have a convergence of an arc which is the yep. trajectory of the bullet and then yep. you have a straight line caused by your point of aim yep. and so that you the higher you get your scope or the closer you bring in that zero the more extreme the angle of the intercept and so think about if i was throwing a football like the the closer in that somebody comes or or the far the farther out you want to throw it you got to throw it either higher yes or and, faster which makes or faster and so but you know if we can't control the speed and you end up having to throw it higher well if you throw it higher then the angle that you have to throw at least leave your hand is going to be more extreme got it well, it, if the aiming point is your eyes, that means the it, you know if we threw it from beneath instead of above, that ball would have to cross your eyes really early to make that elevation height, right? And so, if you make that really extreme, like the more you make that, well, that that's in if you bring the zero in, but it also is affected by if you raise the optic height. And so, if you have like a one nine three or a two two six riser yeah. on an AR, now you have a three and a half or four inch optic height you've now elevated and, and increased that angle. And so people, these, these known distances, what you're talking about, which is like 25, 300 or 5,200 uh, is off of, based off of one rifle setup with one bullet traveling one velocity, like, and it isn't the same at all elevations. And so my big push lately is because everybody locks into these dogmatic, you know, gospel truths and they're not gospel. And, if you put it into a ballistic calculator, I made a bunch of posts on Instagram. There's too many variables for it to be gospel. A hundred percent. But because this goes back to being the military, those are all built out of a bunch of infantry Marines at Camp Pendleton shooting, you know, M855 ball out of M16s right, with right, yeah. carry handles. And so like, yeah, with that height and that bullet at that elevation, it made it so they could shoot the qual. And most Marine Corps bases are around sea level. And so that's what that's based off of. And so it doesn't necessarily translate perfectly to an aim point T one on a scalar works mount on a 10 five or, so you know, if, if you're dealing with just like a regular AR 15 with whether, let's just say a red dot and you're, and you're talking about, you know, self-defense purposes or whatever, and you're talking like, it's probably going to be close quarters, but maybe out to 50 yards at, at some point you are looking like we're looking center mass. We're looking like you just want to be able to kind of, not have to think too much, right? Would one of those methods work well for that? Or you're saying like you still should be more precise? No, I think, yes. The short and sweet of it is up close, if that's your primary concern, you can do whatever you want. Right. It's 
the different, the thing you have to realize though, is like, if I ran a 25 yard zero on my like 11 and a half inch MCX with, cause I have a unity riser with a T2, like if I, or comp five, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, I've got a four inch optic height. If I run a 25 yard zero, I'm 18 inches high at 180 yards. Okay. So over my point of aim. And so now if you go to a 50 yard, like now I'm maybe six, maybe eight inches high, but, and that's what people go like, well, I'm worried about battle site zero. Well, if running a hundred yard zero with my MCX, I am within two inches out to 200. So the, now the biggest offset I have to worry about is from zero to 50, which again, if I have a four inch optic height, that means that like, you know, I'm going to be 2.6 inches low or 2.7 inches low at 25 and closer than that, I'm going to be you know, three inches. So if I really had to take like a headshot or something that was, you know, if I wanted to shoot a six plate rack at seven yards or a small target, I'm going to be aiming three inches over, but it, running a tall riser or even a regular riser, you're still going to have to deal with that at some level. And so it becomes a training thing that you just have to cover down on. But so you just got to know, you almost just have to just understand and know these things and just deal with it for your own personal. Well, as you're saying this, Keith, I, I'm listening to you, Joe, and I'm going, God, you know this stuff so like I, like I'm thinking that like as you're talking and thinking numbers, I'm like my trying, head is yeah, trying scrambled. To trying to match it on your on your platform or on, on well, your well, no, I'm just know. trying to like I'm just trying to like keep up with the numbers and the math and like what you're <laughs> saying, and I'm like, God, you're saying it so fluently, which I obviously your experience, Appreciate, yeah, yeah. I, but I'm like, oh my God, I mean, it, it's amazing how adept you are at this, just like rattling off your head like that. How do you train people who don't have that? I mean, how do you get that across to people? Oh, and it really comes down to, it has to be important to them to understand it because oh, I was waiting the, for you to say, I beat him over the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that too, um, you know, we drag him behind the, you know, the range connects and we, we take care of business. No, <laughs> the, um, no, it comes down to, if you are a, you, I hate to say it and people are going to beat me up for this, but if you're an Instagram shooter, who's just chasing the next drill and you never shoot farther than 25 yards, you're never going to see the issues your zero may present. Yes. To. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I recently, uh, got an opportunity to shoot some long range 22, like 300 plus yards. And I was like, man, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've not done a lot of long range and it's something that I, I, I want to do, you know, it's on, it's on my list of things to do for sure. Um, you know, I feel like we're talking a lot about, uh, a lot of gun stuff, but you know, I, I always say, I feel like people, people in the community, people who are talking about more on the self-defense side of things, right. Using guns for that purpose. I feel like people underestimate the need to be well-rounded and I feel that people should be more well-rounded and not solely rely on the gun as a one-size-fits-all kind of solution. I think oh, 100%. Lot, I know guys that are like, oh, I just I, I carry a gun so I can handle that. And I'm like, but not every situation means you need to draw a gun, right? Like, that's so close-minded. So I'm curious what uh, combatives maybe that you, you do train currently, um, and if not, like what combatives training you would recommend uh, to supplement someone's uh, firearms training? Oh, I think there's so many ways to go with that. And it really depends how you want to stack your, you know, it's kind of like first line, second line, third line gear. I think your skill sets should, um, it's kind of like somebody used to tell me once, like, if you're going to put holes in people, you better build a stuff on, like you better build. So it's medical training, combatives, uh, being a well-rounded person is, and it's not just combatives as much as just also de-escalation and the ability yeah. to talk people down. I mean, why, why are you even going, like, why are you even going fist to cuffs, much less? 
like just leave, hey, somebody talks shit and you know you don't like it, that's great. Well, just leave. Like, is it worth? Yeah. Is your pride at that point when you've got your girlfriend, your wife, your significant other, your kids worth bringing them into a dangerous situation or you, you know, putting yourself in one where you don't know if the one guy you're talking to has three buddies who haven't turned their back yet, but they're sitting at the bar. Um, like just for what, for what? I mean, yeah. And- I mean, Keith, what's the book that we were reading? Um, violence of the mind, violence of mind. Do you ever, have you ever heard of that book? I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, Varg Freeburn. Um, that, the takeaway from that book is he talks a lot about um, know your mission. Know your mission, and so if your mission is if you're carrying a gun, if you're learning to fight because you want to be able to protect your family, well, you can't protect your family if you're in prison, right? You can't protect your family if you're dead. You can't protect your family if you're in a hospital because you got you know dropped on your head and you have a concussion and or uh, you're in a coma, right? So know your mission. If your mission is to protect your family, exactly what you just said, right? Like walk away. It's, if it's, you can walk away. Yeah. Walk away. Um, well, but back it, to your original question. I've done, I've done, um, some jujitsu. I've done some boxing. Um, I've done some Krav. I've done some, uh, Kali overseas. I, I have not currently, I basically ended up moving outside town and bought 10 acres in the mountains. So, uh, you know, getting to a fight gym is like a two hour event. If I want to oh. go try to find one in town. He only um, asked you that cause he wants me to start doing some of that shit. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fantastic. I want it, Keith and, to be more well-rounded. He wants no part of being well-rounded. <laughs> I'm, I'm round enough. <laughs> um, no, I, I do jujitsu, but I, I always say like a one grappling and one striking. You know, you, you get those two 100%. things. Um, I, I'm lacking in the striking area, but uh, yeah, I, that's basically what I, I figured you would say. This is kind of an open-ended question for you. Uh, I was looking on your Instagram and you yep. definitely shoot all different kinds of handguns. Um and you have some great partnerships that you you work with. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, striker fired versus 1911 slash 2011s for EDC? And I'm going to give you a little bit of background here. Uh, I'm I've always shot striker fire, and recently Keith uh, is still waiting, still waiting on a uh, Nighthawk 1911. Uh, that's a long story that everyone else has heard a million times. But anyway. Uh, I've sort of always just been like, I want something that I just pull in triggers there and it goes boom. But I'm starting to kind of really have my eyes turned towards 2011s. And so I'm just curious how you feel about that for everyday carry. Is there one you, is there a reason you would say to stay away from 2011s or 1911s? Would you say, you know, what, it's open-ended, whatever you, what think. you want. So, huh. The, the quick and short answer is, is the more you mess with a gun, uh, the more problems you're going to have with it and, or you could possibly have with it. And so, cause the thing is people go like, well, 2011s are 2011s were known for unreliability based off the magazines. Well, the magazines have gotten significantly better in the last, you know, three or four years, five years, the Cotto has gotten better magazines, you know, there's, um, I don't know, there's three or four companies now who are making significantly better magazines. So that does, isn't as much the limiting factor, but then I've also watched people mess with Glocks to the point where they don't function. You know, by the time you start swapping out, you know, I want tungsten guide rods and lightweight springs and ported and comped and cut slides. And like, you're messing with the mass of that gun to the point where they can cause issues. And so I've seen just as many issues with built out Glocks as I have with 2011s lately. And there's people like staccato and, um, and Nighthawk, and I've got a Nighthawk Sandhawk sitting behind me, um, cool. that are, uh, are phenomenal guns. And so the, the thing I tell people is, is 
and you mentioned my, my collection, it finds something that works for you and train. And, it, yeah. and if you want to grow your collection, that's great. Just grow it as fast as it doesn't limit your ability to train. Mike, because- Mike's, Mike's a little nervous that he can train the safety, the thumb safety. Well, I know I could train. Oh, that- I, I know I could train it. Yeah, I, 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 I right. Mean it but so, um, I won't mention names. I think I probably have on the show before. But there's a there's a gun tuber who I mean he has good knowledge. I think, and he has a military career that I think I think is pretty respected. And he has talked about the idea that you know a lot of people say like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll throw that safety when the time comes, and then they get rolling around and you know they're fighting for their life and they're you know. The, the bad guys grabbing for their gun and they get it out and they just forget about that safety. And I do think to some extent there may be some truth to that, you know, like it's easy I, on no, a square is. range, you know, to just flip that safety. But what happens when you're fighting for your life? Are you going to forget that? And so, you know, maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit. I think, you know, if you're in, if you're in jets, it's, it's great when you're in a staged thing to try to get into a triangle, an arm bar or whatever. Now, when, the first time you get punched in the mouth at a bar, like <laughs> there's a lo- lot different than being in a gi at a gym. Of course. So there's now, how do you train to that level? There's lots of people who teach classes with sim and, and where you have to, you know, you start sitting in a car and somebody's beating on your windshield and they do these role-playing scenarios. Um, I think that's a great way to train that. I think there, there hundred percent is validity into your argument. I mean, I carry a Glock 45 every day, like with all the fancy guns I have, I carry a Glock 45. Yeah. Uh, just it's simple. I, I tend to shoot Glocks or three twenties 90% of the time, because for me as an instructor, the second I take out like a big comp 2011 or a 2011 in general, or there's going to start being asterisks on my performance. And so <laughs> there is, you know, if I bring out a Sandhawk and it's a $6,000 pistol with a huge port on the comp on the front and I shoot a bill drill, every, 60% of the class is putting an asterisk on, my, on that. It's funny you say that because like there are times, you know, if you can train with better equipment, you, you get better results. So what's wrong with that? Right? Like, well, it's, I think as an instructor, you set the expectation yeah, okay, for, student, for student performance. That's fair. That's and a fair point. I think a lot of instructors suffer or don't fully understand that. And they go, well, I want to show what's possible. I said, yeah, but there's a time and a place for both. Yeah, no, that's there's a very de- fair point. There's, there's demoing a drill because the second you demo a 1-7 bill drill, everybody on that line is going to try to go do a 1-7 bill drill. Yeah, Even the guys straight. who bought a pistol. Damn straight. Well, then you end up with guys who are frantic, not efficient because they don't they haven't been taught how to be fast yet. You You've been quoted you know, many times saying you, you won't write an autobiography or a tell all book of your past military career. Is there a reason why you say that? Do you, do you think those stories should stay where they happened or, you know, just, because you know, enough seals have already done that and yeah. wrote books about other people's stories too. Yeah. I'm, well, you're a writer, right? So I think you probably, you can appreciate that and you, you probably have a better uh, perspective of that than most. Uh, yes. And no, if you want to go write fiction, more power to you. There's, the thing is, you if you especially in our career, you joined a community called the Teams. Yep. You joined a platoon. We aren't Rambo. We didn't go anywhere alone. So any story I have, it's somebody else's story too. And so, it's I I don't like the 
the guys who are, it, it becomes a race to, to retire and tell these high profile stories before the other guys do, because, um, but the thing is, is that what some of these guys don't realize is they're not racing against anybody because not everybody has the same prerogative or, or requirement to go sing their story from the rooftops. Well, yeah. I, I'm glad you said it that way because when I was writing that question down to ask you, I, I, I based on the few things I read and and a couple couple of the videos I watched, I, I really honestly felt that that was going to kind of be your answer. You know that yeah. you know you're you you are you seem like a team oriented guy and you seem like somebody who is um you know is is passionate about what he did and and proud of what he did and and you guys did that as a team. So so let me ask a follow up to that. Are there any sort of Jack Carr terminal list kind of, you know, like a little fiction kind of stuff you got? <laughs> uh, funny enough, I maybe one day, I don't know if it'll be that kind of style. Um, surprisingly, especially when I first retired, I didn't rush out to a read books that were work related. So like sometimes when I got behind a book or if I just wanted to read, I wanted an escape. I didn't want to like, you know, be in Afghanistan. We just came three days off and off and I'm just trying to read before I go to bed and then read a book about guns and blowing stuff up and like so i read a lot of fantasy i read a lot of nonfiction. i read a lot of like um uh stephen pressfield like gates of fire mm -hmm. afghan campaign um i read you know name of the wind and a, a lot of, i got a bunch of uh hatcher books and or i'd read stuff like jack london or call yeah. call the wild i, I will not call myself an avid reader i have definitely made a conscious effort over the last couple of years to be better at it and i am doing a good job but i'm having i'm, I'm a little bit of a geek i love history books but I, I have a hard time getting off of that kind of stuff like i have a hard time even getting into anything fantasy wise or anything like yeah that. and i actually i i'm a terribly slow reader and for the show, we've had a couple books sent to us that we had to read and in uh, and, and a time crunch in some of them. And I was able to do it, which made me think maybe I could start to read more. Uh, I actually, you mentioned Pressfield. I, that's some stuff I actually would like to get into. I'm just not sure if I'm if I'm able to get through it or not. But it's interesting you said His that. books are phenomenal. Really? And I've given them to people and they go, well, it's kind of historical fiction. No, he has a really good way of bringing you in and keeping you riveted i haven't even some of the ones that were like there's one called the last of the amazons that mm -hmm. is about um the queen of the amazons and her relationship relationship with uh, a greek emperor and um it was phenomenal the entire way and uh, I, i've read probably four or five of his books now and i'm, I'm trying to basically collect as many so as i can because he's I'm really gonna, good i'm gonna uh, you gotta give me a recommendation i'm i'm gonna take it i'm gonna try it is that it is the, the last of the amazons the one uh, I think the Afghan campaign is really good. If you haven't, if you haven't read Gates of Fire, that's the one that everybody likes. Like you, you no, can no, want, still have I watched. Your, I want your recommendation. Yeah, I like the Afghan campaign. That one was good. Okay. And right. you would like that, Keith, because it you like history, but this is kind of along those lines. Yeah, yeah. It's, so you know that might work. So it's basically it's it took about it's from the perspective of a foot soldier in alexander's army during his conquest across oh, afghanistan I'm that's in, cool I, i'm a big alex the great fan so that'll, that'll uh, this might be it all right well I'll give it a shot you I, i've also i also read a ton uh i i cannot not ask about this uh that you yourself proclaim turn wrenches gearhead kind of guy and i assume that's cars but it's it, it could be something weird like maybe dishwashers oh, yeah. or refrigerators <laughs> no <laughs> 
Uh, Maytag repair I, man. <laughs> I was big into turbo cars for a while. I raced motorcycles. I had rock crawlers. Um, okay, cool. I love working on cars. What, what so, do you do? You have any any toys now? You have anything? You, you... Well, my daily driver is a seventeen Raptor. But no, cool. the uh, I, I basically what happened was is you know through life and happenstance and retiring and moving and I the house I bought ended up without a garage. Oh. And so I my last truck was a. It was a 17, um, wasn't a 17, it was a 14 Jeep JK on okay. Rock Jock 60, one tons, um, cool. ARB lockers. I it love was, Jeeps. I had, I had a Jeep Wrangler for a while and I was building it up until I realized in New York there's nowhere to actually take them. So I, <laughs> I, I got rid of it. But um, yeah, because I was in SoCal, there was rock crawling in yeah. Oregon, there's mud. And so it, it was built for one and I was in a place for the other. And so I sold that and bought, I was like, I want a truck that's fun but still comfortable to drive. The Raptor has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, you and, know, you said you bought, a, you bought a house without a garage. I've actually said my next, uh, we're, I'm not moving anytime soon, but my next house, I'm purposely going to buy a house without a garage because then I can build, build a one. big old garage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I've been into, you know, working on cars forever. I mean, just growing up with my dad doing it and things like that. But I'm fortunate to live in a neighborhood that has a really bunch of cool people. One that I could have now do a podcast with on a regular basis and another one who uh, has a little bit of a YouTube channel and and allows me to turn wrenches with him. So uh, he helped me, uh, this other neighbor helped me build a uh, my 2015 Mustang. It's like 800 plus horsepower on pump gas and nice. a thousand horsepower on E85 or damn close to it. And uh, it's it's been a blast, and I haven't blown it up yet, and it's stock internal, so I'm I'm waiting for it to happen. Well, but. you've said it's basically going to be money after money because yeah. at some point you got to put more money into it. I always it. say I turned it into a boat. Yeah, or break out another thousand. So I want to get to uh to our next segment with you, but uh, before we do that, where can people find you? What are the best spots? Well, right now, obviously, you guys can find me um, at www.bruiserindustries.com or on Instagram at at Bruiser Industries or uh, our backup page is at Bruiser underscore Industries. And then Bruiser Joe is my um, personal page. But if you go there, there's no guns. There's no nothing. It's stuff I find funny and and occasional workouts. So, um, yeah. And if you guys need to get a hold of me, contact information is on the site. And uh, appreciate it. Awesome. I have a lot of those links in the show notes. So, you know, anyone looking for an easy way to get there, they can go to it quick. Um, so we do a segment on the show called Run and Gun. And it is a 10-question rapid-fire game. We ask you a question. We want the first thing that comes to your mind. It is timed. It is a very lofty goal to to take this title. I have to tell you, Joe, the last person that did it was very fast. So uh, you up for the challenge? I'll try anything once. All right. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Chuck Rogers, 1911. What gun would you buy if money was no object? PSG one. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. Favorite caliber? Uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. Favorite hobby, not hobby, not gun related. Rock crawling. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, it's invincibility. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? My brother. Let's mix it up. 
Keith is giving me a look like I don't. It is a good time. It's it's good enough to take second place. Not, wow. not first, but good enough to take second. Wow. Uh, 39.66 seconds. Uh, Frank, our buddy, still holds the record for 36.88. Wow. <laughs> it Close. was fast. I was looking. I'm like, oh, he's gonna get. It. He he could get this. He could get it. It, it just was a slight hesitation <clears throat> on a on a couple answers. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're gonna do. Let's mix it up here. And let's mix it up is brought to us by Onsite Firearms Training. They have an extensive course offering and teach classes across the country. You're guaranteed to find a course to meet your needs. So check them out and get trained by the same outfit that trains the gun experiment. And I want to just say we just took a course with Ben and his crew. It was great. As always, we were. It's very. It's good to have the opportunity to train, and uh, you know, if you can find one local to you, it's 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 great. Yeah, I mean, he did a great job at uh, keeping us honest, and uh, that diminishing skill was a reminder. Yeah, <laughs> but he got us right back on track. Yep, for sure. So on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, uh, we're going to talk to Joe about his experience training with civilians and the concept of LARPing. So where this came from, <clears throat> uh, actually, before we do that. Why don't we start with this? What is your philosophy on training civilians? And what I mean by that is, um, obviously, you work with civilians, right? Like, why you could probably have a fine career just training LEO or working with military guys. Why do you want to include civilians in that training? There's a kind of a multifold answer to this, which is, um, and and my opinion has changed over time. Uh, that's the first thing I tell people a lot of the time is I think people become become very dogmatic and they and they you know I've used that word twice now but people become very locked in their beliefs and they don't allow themselves to change their own opinion and i joined you know my my goal was to join the, the military and to do that and you know if you wanted to play with those things and do those things like you you should be signing up cuz otherwise you know you're just acting like that's what cuz you're kind of, that's the mentality especially in the middle of GWAT of um most of the guys overseas because we were doing these ridiculous schedules and back-to-back deployments and all these things. And these guys are, you know, buying night vision and, and we'd go to buy cries because we ripped the crotch out of them and we'd go overseas and we'd call cry and they'd be like, ah, oh, we're selling, you know, we don't have any because we sold them all the airsofters. And we'd be <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, man, like we're trying to get out the door. I don't have pants. And they'd be like, sorry, man. Like, um, defender country pantless. <laughs> yeah. And so now, the thing is, though, is after you serve for a while, there's a thing people don't realize. That this is part, that's part of this question: is the military there is a there is a peak, there is a level of it's not experience, a performance that really is never expected for you to surpass. Okay. And because every time you deploy, you come back. What you do is is the more experienced guys leave for leadership places or, or schoolhouses or whatever, and you get another set of new guys. And then you spend the next 18 months or a year training up those new guys to get you ready to deploy. And so the training pipeline can only be held to a standard that the new guys, along with the help of the old guys, can really maintain. Like our pistol and rifle standards aren't an ever-evolving like thing. It's you have to meet this to go in the house. Like there's not like there's competitions in the platoon but the next time you come through those standards still exist and maybe like the standards we shot to get into the kill house didn't change the entire time i was in and when i went back as a contractor they were still there and so that's 14 years of the same standard to go into the kill house and so now fast forward 
I, I was like, this is my community. These are my boys. And I still love working with those guys. But the thing is like, when I wanted to get better than what my community wanted, I had to seek it elsewhere. And I was surprised to find how few guys now it's not surprising, but it, when we do this for a living, the last thing guys wanted to do on a Saturday was go back to the range or, you know, we just got back from diving for a week and guys were like, dude, I want to go down and have some tacos and PB and like, and chase girls around the beach. <laughs> like, I don't want to go out to the mountains and shoot long guns. That was my hobby though. And so I was shooting USPSA and shooting PRS. And the first time I went to a competition, I got skull drug. And this was coming out of the sniper schoolhouse. I, you know, I was out there young was like, I am all that is seal sniper. And I went to this competition and got crushed by like a 15 year old girl who's been shooting coyotes her whole life. <laughs> and, and I was, and a lot of guys have that happen. And then they, their ego can't take it. And they go running back to being a big fish in a little pond yeah. of this fixed standard that as long as they're one of the faster guys in their platoon, they're comfortable. And my personality went, what is this magic and who here can teach me? <laughs> and, and so I fast forward and that was a really long way to answer your question. No, it was fast forward. I, I see all these civilians now and there's this huge separate. There's still the same battle going on between tactical shooters and civilians. But the thing is, is the tactical shooters, you signed up for that job. Old uncle sugar is putting you through the training. <laughs> and I almost guarantee you that there's less than one to 5% or five, one to 5% of the entirety of any community that's actually motivated to get better than what their community mandates of them. And when you, whereas on a civilian and that's paid for ammo given to you, like, Hey man, like let's be better than what we're asked. No. Okay. That sucks. Like <laughs> when you start working with civilians, every single person in that class made the decision to you spend those resources, buy the ammo, have the guns, have the belt, have the equipment, whatever they can afford, and then are searching out you as an instructor to better themselves. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good answer. And you know, the other part of this is, Keith and I talk about this a lot. Uh, first of all, we support law enforcement. We have friends, sure. family. So this is not a, a knock on anyone. But how many cops do you know that they they do their recall and then they never touch a gun? They don't shoot again till the next year. I'm friends, yeah. I'm friends with a lot of cops because they're like-minded people. But the thing is, is they are the standouts in their department. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going with. It's like there's a lot of cops that do, that civilians shoot way more than though than they do. Right. I mean, they, they shoot like I said, they qual once a year, and that's it. Oh, um, which I mean, I I know plenty of civilians who shoot a thousand rounds a month pistol, right. mean, at least. Yeah, and there's also a bit of a we we're talking Mike about and I aren't to that level yet. Yeah, but, but uh, we're more because of time. We have young yeah. kids and stuff. But you and I, too, you know, I shoot about them a shotgun sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, you were talking about your love for history yeah. and to some extent, and maybe I'm romanticizing a bit, but you know, you think about like how our country was founded, you know, a lot of people who fought in the, in the war were farmers and just regular, regular people. So there was a rich history in our, our culture of just sort of being prepared because that's sort of how we won our independence was people wanted something and they manned up and did it. Right. So well, I, I think just think, the founding of our sorry, go ahead. I was going to say at the founding of our country, I think a gun was viewed as a tool that every house had. Right. Like yeah. it didn't matter if you were like, there wasn't an established police force. There wasn't. Um, and I think people have become very complacent in having these things available to them. And so they just, and so they go, well, if I need a gun, I'll call one. 
Like, right. <laughs> it's, and, but you know, it's what, what's faster, a nine mil or a phone call. Like when yeah. somebody is coming through your front door, like that, you, that cop's not going to be there when you need them. A cop's going to be there to write the report when whatever's happening right now is done. Yeah. No, yeah. there's just, there's become too much decisiveness on that. And, and, yeah. and, you know, we're not able to, uh, we're not able to accept, um, most of us aren't aren't able to accept uh, the other side's opinion as uh, as an opinion and and do what we want to do, but I think that kind of brings us in into where all this is kind of going, right? You yeah. Know? Well, so what sort of uh, inspired this conversation for this segment is uh, I saw today you posted something on Instagram um, about uh, Jim's Goon Life, who is a uh, he's a, a content creator on YouTube. I know you've done a lot with him. He's going to be on our show um, coming down the pipe a little bit. And uh, someone, I guess, on social media, you could fill in the gaps here, but basically uh, called him a LARPer. For those of you who don't know what LARPing is, it's live action role play and started out as the guys in the park uh, with swords and uh, kind of got put on our community a little bit, which is fine. Which is funny because I used it in a in a, in a a positive, funny term, yeah. but when, when we were talking about it getting ready tonight, it, it could be viewed as a, yeah. you know, like a, a dig. And you kind of came to Jim's... Uh, uh, you know, to his side and said, basically like, he's a great shooter. Um, I'll let you kind of fill, fill this part in, but, uh, just, you know, how do you feel about not only civilian shooting, but, you know, running battle belts, running kit, running, uh, you know, plate carriers and things like that. Like, is it over the top? Just how do you feel about that? I think it's, it's, it's great as being, I think it's part of being a well-trained and resilient citizen as part of a citizenry to be prepared. I think the original intent of the second amendment is very clear, regardless of what some people want to interpret it as part part of being a well-regulated militia. (laughs) Oh yeah, maybe. Um, if you read the actual, um, the federalist papers, they go into great depth on how they viewed citizenry and how trained they should be. And, um, but we were talking about this earlier about being well-rounded. I, my only thing that I try to get on people, especially on my Instagram, is that I think people focus too much on the hardware sometimes and not the journey, which is where Jimmy did a where Jimmy did a really good video about kind of the escalation of your journey to through shooting and whatever. And it's like, and I see this a lot in precision rifle, and that people wait so long to start because they're trying to build up the kit. And they and they yeah. but the thing is the kit they're trying to model is somebody who's been shooting for 15 years. And so they go, well, this guy has a accuracy international AX with a zero compromise optic. It's like, that, that's $12,000. Like, <laughs> and then he has a really right stuff tripod and he has a uh, spotter 60 hens hole. It's like, well, that's another $4,000 or $5,000. It's like, so now you're at $17,000 and this 19 year old kid yeah. is maxing out credit cards trying to get to that point. And so I am all for people doing it, but it's, it's how far along in your journey are you? Like, what are you, how do you work your way into being a, if you have the money and you know, you work for Microsoft or you're, you know, you want to, and you just want you, you know, you make $500,000 a year and, you know, and, and DTNVSs or, um, or PBS 31s are like, you know, Hey, screw it. That's my consumable income for a couple months. Dude, more power to you. You're bringing up a really good point, you know, because you know Mike and I are 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 sort of at the beginning stages of uh, maybe we're a little farther than beginning at this point, um, but you do you have to build a kit that is uh, affordable and that is uh, 
it within your budget. And, you know, we shoot with guys that have kits like the way you're talking about. And, you know, of course we get jelly over it, but, but our community, I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of call BS a little bit on this because our, not, not on what you're saying, but on the fact that like the community itself, how many times you, you get guys ragging on people you know, like, oh, you bought that off of eBay and it's some Chinese piece of crap. And it's like, well, but if that's what the guy can afford, if what he can afford is an $18 knockoff IFAC, that obviously there's an $80 version of it, but the guy wants to have medical gear on his belt and all he can afford is that $18 knockoff one. Our community is the first ones to like knock the guy and bash the guy because he's got, you know, fake stuff. And so it's but like- I, what, The one thing I'll say is 90% of the time though, the guy with that $18 IFAC has a milled slide that Cerakoted Multicam <laughs> okay. Black. That's, fair. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. We've seen that. And so <laughs> it's getting guys to prioritize, like to use military term, prioritize and execute. Right. To How do you structure how you progress as a shooter along with how you progress your gear? Like if you just bought your first Glock 45 and your first AR-15, you haven't taken any classes, you barely have a battle belt. Should you be rushing trying to save for dual night vision? It's like, do you have a good med kit? Do you know how to use said med kit? Do you like have you do you have funds laid out to be able to shoot and train and over the next year? Yeah. Do you have ammo set aside? Do you have any spare parts for your guns? Like there's and as you progress through that. There isn't good there isn't a lot of good. I mean, I think it's getting better things like us talking about it here and 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 podcasts or or youtube or articles like you write you know joe it, it is getting better but there is a lack of prioritization or a list of prioritization for these people you know and they get into it and yeah you know they they, they buy their glock and they're like oh I, I want those dual night vision sites or whatever the case may be and they don't realize that they should be prioritizing it in a different way right yeah which well this but, makes this a good conversation it really i mean that point was actually a really good point just going back to the LARPing thing for a second, you know, yeah. and I'm actually, I'm going to play, you want me to play the clip, Keith? I think the clip is hilarious. I don't okay. really know that I want to give the guy much more eh, it's fine. play. We'll it. but. So what we're talking about is the clip that I'm sure you heard the Dakota Meyer clip, right? Yep. So I'm going to play it really quick for anyone that hasn't, you know, we'll play a little bit of this. So I just got done working out and I got to tell you, I had this thought last night. I'm scrolling through Instagram, just looking at, at just looking at, just looking at the feed, whatever, board. And I gotta tell you, you know, one thing that's been fucking irking me lately, I don't know why, but I see all these people out there like wearing camo, acting like they're fucking operators on ranges. Um, look, I just wanna say this, like, you're just trying to do what guys like Tim Kennedy, Mark Luttrell fucking really did. All right, so we'll let, we'll, we'll, we'll kill it there. I just want to know what those. I just want to say those machines in the background sound like he's making blow up dolls or something. I don't. I don't know what's <laughs> going on back there, but um, I, I, you know, I mean, this when I first heard it, and there was a lot. The community really kind of lit lit him up for this, you know. But I don't know that there's a correlation between guys wanting to train with Kit and trying to put some kind of shade on guys who actually did it. Like I, I don't know where that came from, but I mean, do you have an I opinion mean, on this? You, you don't have to, yes. but. No, I 100% have an opinion. Um, if you guys followed me long enough or watched my Instagram, you, you'll know my my give a fuck of speaking my mind is very low. The uh, <laughs> So I, I view it as this. There's a lot of guys who hang their hat on either a bio bullet or an event or an award. 
or a place they deployed to. And that is so wrapped up as part of their personality that anybody it's like that's my rice bowl right that's my ticket to the cool guy club so Mm. you guys can't be in the cool guy club because you haven't done this or they that was it's like a guy who peaked in high school and you know won the state championship (laughs) as a quarterback junior year i was thinking that earlier when you were talking and now he's a now he's a shoe salesman you know and uh and (laughs) Named Ted Bundy, not Ted Bundy. Bundy. <laughs> yeah, almost one different Bundy. Um, so I uh, no, and that's a really harsh thing to say. But the thing is, is that it's not bad that if you served and you put that part of your past behind you, like because it is, it's a lot, and it's a lot of money financially, and it's a lot of to maintain skill sets. Like it's a lot of money to stay sharp because somebody stopped paying for it for you, and so. There's a lot of guys who were some lethal dudes that deployed all over the world from some super high-end units and were like the operator's operator who haven't done anything tactical in decades. And they're financial managers or they're working at investment firms or or they're just retired and being a dad. And that's okay. And and they, you know, buy that guy a beer and go smoke a cigar together. And you know, and we're when we're we're recording this, tomorrow is gonna be. Um, veterans day like that's awesome but the thing is is that some of these guys want to be in the industry but they don't want to actually even maintain the skills they had much less accept the fact that they are antiquated and outdated and irrelevant in their skill sets and their and their information because what you did 10 or 15 years ago is old it's it's not of use anymore and you are very happy in being a personality and not a asset and and that's fine but accept it these civilians who are doing this are taking it upon themselves and this is a word that i would have thrown out six times already in this podcast which is they're taking the personal responsibility to better themselves in that way now do i have to agree with their journey the way they do their money people ask me this all the time would you buy a scar and i go no and they go they get all pissed i said dude me telling you that I wouldn't buy it doesn't mean doesn't make your gun stop shooting. Right. Like you asked my opinion. It's your journey. It's your money. You do you boo. Like uh, you, I will give you my input because you asked for it. You do what you will for, with it, especially on Instagram. It's free. Like right. anybody you follow on Instagram, you're not paying them for their information. Um, if you come to a class, like I'm going to give it to you, but at the end of two days, like you can, Go ahead and disregard anything I said. Yeah, you know, like, it's funny. So I, I kind of want to go into Keith and I, our, our feelings on some of this. And, you know, listeners can take it for what it's worth. But a while back, Keith and I were taking a, a class with Onsite. And I looked at their uh, their list of gear that they recommended. And I I really honestly didn't... We didn't have any of it. Didn't have a lot of it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I had the gun. I had a couple mags. I had, yeah, maybe three. <clears throat> and uh, I said, Keith, you know, if we're going to take this, I said, I, I'm not the guy that I don't want to show up. If they say this is what they want me to have, I'm going to show up with every bit of it. I, I don't want to be the guy that yeah. shows up with half of it. And I want to respect their sort of... Process. Process. Yep. So... Um, we're lucky because of the show. We do have a little bit, we get a little bit of help because we have some contacts and stuff and we had a belt given to us and a couple other pieces of kit, but dumb pouch. Yeah. Dumb pouch from flatline was great, but you know, a lot, it still cost us 
a good amount of money. I think yeah, we figured a few hundred bucks. I think all yeah. the yeah, three hundred bucks. And so, but as we're building it, I'm going. I remember Santa Keith. These feel, were pieces I'd never seen before. Yeah, I, I was know. like, "Do you feel weird about this?" You know, and I even reached out to someone yeah, in the industry, another another content creator, and said, "What's the deal with the battle belts? Like, do I need one?" He goes, and he jokingly he was like, "Yeah, it's basically for larping." But he goes, "But it's good to have," and blah blah blah. And we moved on. And so I said, Keith was like, "Why do we need this?" And I said, "I don't know, man." It I, felt awkward. It felt awkward. It felt weird. We weren't trained to wear it, right? Yeah, you know, I so. felt weird. But what we've kind of come to the realization of is. Forget about the the name battle belt. Forget about it is one of the most convenient pieces of gear you can have because if we we shot we've shot a competition or two and we've gone to a bunch of classes now and when we want to run outside the waistband and we want to have an IFAC and we want to have all this stuff, it's like you know you just throw it on and then when you when I have to go to the bathroom halfway uh, through the course because I ate too big of a lunch, <laughs> I take it off and I go take a shit, you know, and it's a convenient thing to have. It doesn't mean to the Dakota Meyer thing. It doesn't mean that I'm in my mind. I have a fantasy of like, I'm going to go to war with this thing, right? Like that's not where this is coming from. And even if it just was me wanting to run around on a square range on Instagram, I kind of feel like if that makes you happy and you're having a little fun, there's nothing that says that every aspect of this community and what you participate in has to be serious, right? Like I feel like- No, I mean, dude, guys, guys, mountain bike, they build, they build cars, they do, um, guys go and do, you know, pro touring and autocross. Like, does that mean that guy thinks he's Mario Andretti or, you know, it's, um, no, like, is he, is he trying to claim to be an F1 driver? Cause he's driving a, you know, Mazda Miata with a roll cage. No. And if that makes that guy happy, dude, more power to him. Um, you know, our community, I think some of that crossover, I think happens from guys who, you know, skirt the line of stolen valor or straight up do. Um, and I think that puts a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, but honestly, if you want to push back on the veteran side of thing, there's a lot of guys who fluff their bio a lot and don't say they've done certain things, but they also don't say they, they don't say they didn't. That makes sense. Like they're, they're very ambiguous about where they worked and who they worked with because they want to insinuate without saying it. And I should say, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm not on any social media, Joe, so I, I, I'm totally, this Dakota Meyer thing I heard for the first time tonight, I, maybe something like that happened, Joe, right? Maybe maybe he, his experience with somebody who was stolen valor situation or trying to push that line, and maybe that's what made him say this. Does, is that, is there any, anyone know why he said this? No, I think, I think the industry is fueled, social media, or the media in general, is fueled by emotion. It's fueled by things. And that's, okay. I, I've said this a lot so recently. So I was being it's too like, nice. <laughs> well, it's like, stop making stupid people, stupid people famous. Like that Detroit yeah. dust yeah. guy. Yeah. Like yeah. things go, things go viral. And then we literally give them wings. And these people li- literally grow to infamy because you they, you know, they, you find them with 1500 followers, but they do some stupid posts. Well, the post gets shared. 270,000 times and all of a sudden this person's making a living on social media for the yeah. utterly wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny cuz as you're saying this like you were saying about like uh about like guys driving fast cars and I'm sitting here thinking like well, what do I, like what are my hobbies aside from, you know, running around larping? And uh I'm thinking like I go and train a couple two days, two days, three days a week in jiu-jitsu and I'm like it would be like Gordon Ryan who's Keith doesn't know that is the nope. best the best on there's no one even close to him in terms of 
the type of player he is. It would be like him being like, nobody else should really do this unless you can be a, a world class jujitsu player. That's crazy. I mean, like that that would be <laughs> bonkers. Or or like a major league baseball player saying no kid should ever play little league because they're you're not going to get the MLB. Yeah, right. But I mean, I think the translation is also though that, that these skills benefit us as civilians as well. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not no longer in service, so I am a civilian. The um, what we do with firearms it gives us the ability to protect our friends, family, property. Like to be to have this, and I say this, people take like people who decide to everyday carry or not have a gun next to their bed or not you know regardless of whatever your views are the people who choose to do that are choosing to have a say when somebody else is is it's it's giving you a force equation so it's like knowing combatives right if you get in a fight but you are untrained and the other guy is he has a larger say in what the end equate what the answer to that question is like right. if there is a problem happening in front of you that could that is a force equation. There is some something happening where people could be hurt, maimed, killed, whatever. You do not have a firearm and that other person does. You do not have a say in the outcome. Mm. Like, or you have a significantly less say. Right. And, and so it's, uh, you go, yeah, well you could deescalate or run away or get your family or call a cop or, or whatever. You could disarm the guy. It's like, yeah. Or like that mall shooting that recently happened, or you could end it in, 13 seconds from 40 feet away yeah. like yeah. and 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 end it and because that guy chose to put himself in a position that he knew was illegal that he was carrying where he shouldn't have but he was exercising his right to self-defense and defended i don't know how many people were in that in that food court in that mall you, are, yeah, are you um, talking about indiana right i think so yeah, yeah. He, he was allowed to carry there yeah indiana- oh i thought that well most malls in California and Oregon are all gun free. Oh yeah, yeah no, they, 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 was it that's con- true. But Indiana had just passed constitutional carry, so he, he, he was he, good. He was good, and he had a permit before that. Beside the point. well, yeah. I knew he had a permit. I just didn't know if that you can yeah, have now, a permit now, and still not carry. In no, you're, you're right. I mean, there, some places in New York. I mean, right now. I, we're, we're allowed. I think it's everywhere in New York right now. Well, it's it. There just was a preliminary injunction, so we we've gotten yeah. most of those places yeah. back. But we we don't we, we don't, don't want to go down that road. Down. <laughs> yeah. So listen, you know, I, Joe, I I really want to thank you uh, for coming on the show and uh, discussing your time in the military and your thoughts on training and equipment and certainly this last topic. I mean, you know, thank you for having that opinion and being willing to share that with us and our listeners both keith and i found your articles and and blogs to be very well written and informative uh one of the benefits of hosting this show is we get to find new sources of quality information and we're definitely going to be adding uh your work into our rotation so thank you so much for being on no i appreciate it thanks guys yeah of course thank you for your service again joe yeah uh to everyone listening we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show you can find links in the show notes to all of our social media so be sure to follow us on instagram facebook twitter and discord so we can keep the conversation going